Hello, welcome to Workplace Wake Up. I'm Jen Shaw. Every week, I spend about 15 minutes covering legal developments, introducing you to interesting guests, and providing some entertainment to start your workday. So today, our topic is an interesting one. We're going to look at what disability protections are available for individuals who are sick with COVID-19. Obviously, we've all been dealing with COVID for going on two years, uh, in many ways, actually more than two years. We just didn't know about it. And there has been hundreds of issues that have come up in the workplace with respect to COVID-19. And we try to keep you all updated on the developments and what's going on. One of the things that happened recently is back in December, on December 16th, the Federal Equal Employment Opportunity Commission updated their technical assistance manual. Now, as you all know, the EEOC is the federal agency responsible for enforcing our anti-discrimination, anti-harassment, anti-retaliation laws. That includes reasonable accommodation for individuals who have a disability. Now, one of the things that tends to confuse employers is, is there a difference between someone having a disability and someone just having a medical condition? And if there is a difference, why does it matter? The first thing to understand is that the standard for disability is very specific and relatively high. What it means is that the individual, whether it's an applicant or an employee, is unable to perform one or more of the essential functions of their job because of a medical condition that affects a major life activity. Major life activities can be things like walking, talking, reading, hearing, major activities, and sometimes minor as well, by the way, that folks want to be able to do or need to be able to do to perform their jobs. So when you look at whether somebody has a disability, that is a higher standard, for example, than whether somebody has a serious health condition under the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act and the California Family Rights Act. These are laws that apply to certain employers um, and certain employees who need time off to care for their own medical condition, care for a family member, to bond with a new child, for example. So... One of the things that COVID-19 has done is caused us to question, what is a disability? We hadn't heard, for example, of long haul COVID until several months into the pandemic. Now we're hearing about folks who are perhaps permanently disabled by COVID. They have terrible headaches. They have vertigo. They have constant nausea constant coughing, breathing issues that involve their lungs, so many different things going on. So from the employer perspective, what you need to know is, what are my obligations to deal with these folks who are suffering from the effects of COVID? Now, as we all know from watching the news, whatever news source you look at, some people have no symptoms. Some people are positive for COVID and they have absolutely no symptoms. We're not talking about those folks. We're talking about people who get really sick. 
And what the EEOC focused on in their updates to the manual last month are, all right, what obligations does an employer have when an employee, for example, has exhausted their sick leave, whether it's California required sick leave, the Healthy Workplace, Healthy Families Act sick leave, or just company or employer provided sick leave. They don't have any more time on the books. They, they don't have vacation. They don't have PTO. They don't have sick leave. And they still want time off. And it's not just that they want time off. They need time off. They are still ill. And one of the things that confuses a lot of us, I think, is what rights do those individuals have? And what obligations do we have as employers? So the first thing to understand is just because somebody's out of leave doesn't mean they're not entitled to additional time off. Remember, there are two separate things you always need to think about. Does someone have an entitlement to time off? And does someone have an entitlement to wage replacement benefits? Wage replacement benefits are things like state disability insurance benefits, paid family leave benefits, if you work in the public sector, non-industrial disability benefits. The idea of somehow continuing your pay, getting some form of paid leave, although it may not be 100% paid, but it's partially at least paid and usually with some favorable tax treatment, because you are disabled. You're not entitled to that time off if you're not disabled. So if you had a serious health condition under the FMLA, let's say you had to get ear surgery and you recovered fine and everything's fine. You're, you're not disabled. You went in, you had surgery, everything's good. You're not going to necessarily be entitled to time off as a reasonable accommodation. So whether or not somebody is disabled gets you in that realm of are they entitled to a reasonable accommodation? So I want you to think about that for a second, right? There is what we call statutory leave, Family Medical Leave Act, California Family Rights Act, California Pregnancy Disability Leave, time off that's guaranteed by the law, all right? And then we have policy or leave that is required by the law where there's no definite period of time. That is the category that reasonable accommodation time falls in. Neither the Americans with Disabilities Act nor the California Fair Employment and Housing Act give an employer an idea of how much time off am I entitled to give, right? Or am I required to provide? Remember, you can always go above the law. You just can't, can't do less than the law requires you to do. So let's get back to the EEOC guidance for a moment. It's important because the agency clarified a couple of very important points. First, they said, look, it might be that the initial COVID case, somebody being positive, does not meet the standard for a disability. All right. They might have very mild symptoms. They resolve in a week or two. Person's fine. There's no disability. In other situations, as we talked about earlier, there can be substantial impacts from COVID-19. And this 
guidance that the EOC has, has revised, by the way, they've revised it over 20 times since the pandemic started to try to help employers understand what their obligations are. This guidance basically says, don't judge the situation, first of all, by how they were in the beginning. Don't judge the situation by how the employees were in the beginning or how the applicant was in the beginning. Maybe they had a light case of COVID, everything seemed fine, then they had a complication. The complication could be related to a prior medical condition. It could be something that's just out of the blue. But once you've got a condition that is limiting one of those major life activities that I mentioned a little while ago, that is when the employer's obligation to reasonably accommodate comes into play. Now remember, you don't do anything with reasonable accommodation until you have medical documentation. You need to know what is it that the employee needs from a medical perspective? And by the way, notice I use the word needs, not wants, right? What do they need from a medical perspective? You need documentation that shows you that there is a medically necessary accommodation, that the accommodation the employee wants or the one that's being suggested by the healthcare provider will be effective to allow the person to do their job, and that the accommodation doesn't impose an undue hardship on the employer. Now, we could spend an hour talking about each of these prongs, right? Medical necessity, effective, and no undue hardship. But what I want you to get from this podcast today is the idea that you've got to have a process in place. Don't assume just because somebody had a relatively mild case of COVID that they're not going to come back and need some sort of an accommodation for a longer term or more serious impact. And if you don't have a process in place, you will be tempted to do things like give your favorite employee extra time, but hold that employee who drives you crazy to the absolute minimum that you have to do. So now you have a consistency problem. Now you have an issue of unfair treatment potentially. The other thing you can't do is make a decision based on a stereotype or a myth or a fear about whether somebody might be infectious or might not be infectious. You don't get to judge that. That's what for a healthcare provider to judge, okay? So what you've got to do if you're looking at reasonable accommodations is be prepared to say to the employee, okay, you're out of statutory leave. You don't have any other time available to you but let's see if you need a reasonable accommodation. For our clients, we use what's called a reasonable accommodation questionnaire. We call it a RAC, an RAQ, where we say, okay, doctor, healthcare provider, not necessarily doctor, tell us about the employee's functional limitations. We don't need to know the diagnosis. Clients ask me all the time, but the doctor didn't tell me what's wrong with her guess what? None of your beeswax, right? All the healthcare provider needs to tell you is what is the employee unable to do? What are their functional limitations? And then you've got to figure out what are the employee's essential functions of the job? What does the person need to be able to do? 
And then we want to bridge that gap, right? Is there a way based on the medical documentation that we can find an accommodation that is effective to help them get their job done that does not impose an undue hardship? Now, the $64,000 question that people always have about leave as a reasonable accommodation is how much time? And we're about to do our two-day leave of absence um, intensive workshop. We do this annually. We've done it for about 20 years where we go through hypothetical after hypothetical and case study after case study to try to help employers get an idea of what's the sweet spot, right? How much time do you have to provide? Because the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, doesn't tell you how much time. The Fair Employment and Housing Act doesn't tell you how much time. You have to do what's called an individualized assessment for each situation. That is why you've got to have someone on your team who knows how to do this, or at least has a resource outside of your organization who can help them do it. This requires someone who is practical, who understands the rules, and can help you get where you need to go. So the EEOC guidance from December is updated, but it isn't new. These concepts have been around for a long time, and employers have struggled with how to comply with the requirements without completely interrupting their business and their morale, because of course people get upset when they have to cover for other people who are off, understandably, and how to really avoid as much as possible liability for these issues. And the first part of all of that is understanding what the rules are. And that's the part that you need to remember just because somebody has something that seems like relatively mild case of COVID, it can develop into something more serious. And of course, unfortunately, it may start out as something more serious. So this is an area where you've got to pay attention, you've got to be on your game, and you need to figure out how to get resources that can help you navigate all of these different requirements. I'd like to thank you for joining us today on Workplace Wake Up with Jen Shaw. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to spread the word, please share it with others, post about it on social media, and rate or review it. So be sure and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, and email us with questions or comments at info at shawlawgroup.com. Workplace Wake Up, including its guests and hosts, do not provide legal advice in this podcast. Do not act upon any of the information discussed in this podcast without consulting a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction.